0: Let's read the Holy Scriptures together this morning in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4. After this, I looked... And behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind, And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory And honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. We read the Word of God that far, and we consider together the teaching of the Catechism in Lord's Day 47. Which is the first petition, hallowed be thy name. That is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works, in which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. And further also that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised on our account. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, in our consideration of the subject of Christian prayer, we come this morning to the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and particularly to the first petition. As we begin to look at the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we might do well to ask the question, What is a petition? A petition is a request. Another word for petition in the Bible is supplication. It's a request that we bring to God. It's a request that we bring to God out of a heart that strongly desires what we request. We deeply long for what we ask. And a petition is a request for something which we need, something that we greatly need. It's something that we cannot acquire for ourselves. We cannot accomplish for ourselves. We cannot do it. We are unable. And so the very idea of a petition, which we must understand as we begin to look at the six petitions, the very idea of a petition implies that we recognize how needy we are. We recognize that we can't do what we need to do and what we need to have done. And that's why we make petitions. That's why we come to God. That's why we ask God to do what we cannot do. Now, our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us in what we call the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayer, six specific petitions of things which are necessary for us, things which are important for us as we live our lives here on this earth, but things which we cannot do or accomplish or acquire for ourselves. The six petitions of the Lord's Prayer are a model for us. The Lord doesn't teach us that we have to make those exact six petitions and those exact words in every prayer that we make. But he's giving us a model to follow. He's teaching us six necessary, important things which we must remember because they are things which we desperately need in all of our prayers. These six petitions are divided into two sets. The first three petitions are for the most important and necessary things for us in regard to our God. The first three petitions have to do with His name, His kingdom, His power, or rather, His will. The second set of petitions have to do with the things which are most important and necessary for us with regard to ourselves, with regard to our own bodies and our own souls, our daily bread, the forgiveness of our sins, and deliverance from temptation. We're going to look at each of these six petitions in the coming sermons. But this morning, we focus on the first petition, and this petition is first because it is the most important of all the petitions. This is the most necessary thing for us, the most needful in our lives, is that we pray, Hallowed be thy name. In this petition, we are requesting that God will do what we cannot do, but that God will do through us the glory of his name. Let's consider together praying for the glory of God's name. First of all, hallowing God's name, what that means. Secondly, knowing God rightly, the catechism mentions that as part of this petition. And finally, praising God in our whole life. The first petition is very simple and very brief, hallowed be thy name, or another possible translation of the Greek, let thy name be hallowed. Let thy name be sanctified, let thy name be glorified. That's the first petition. And the Heidelberg Catechism explains that petition with these words, that is, grant us first rightly to know thee and to sanctify, glorify, and praise thee in all thy works. In which thy power, wisdom, goodness, justice, mercy, and truth are clearly displayed. Earlier, we read Revelation 4 from the scriptures. And in that chapter of God's Word, we saw a beautiful vision of heaven. And in that vision, we saw a picture of the throne, the throne of God in the midst of heaven with a beautiful rainbow arching over that throne. And the one who was sitting on that throne was beautiful and glorious, described by various bright, beautiful colors. And all around that throne there are angels, and there are beasts, and there are elders, and there are saints. And we see a picture of the saints glorifying and praising God. And what we are given in that vision, therefore, is a picture of our own personal future as well. When we finish our life here on earth, when we depart from this life, when we die, and when we go to heaven, what are we going to be doing in heaven? What is heaven going to be like for us? It's going to be like this. That we are going to enter into the glorious presence of God who sits upon the throne of majesty and glory. We are going to join that great multitude, which no one can number, of saints and angels throughout the many ages of history. We're going to join ourselves to those 24 elders who represent the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles the leaders of the church of the Old Testament and the New Testament. We're going to join those four beasts who represent all of the angels and all of the magnificent creatures of God. We're going to join that great choir, that great multitude, and being made perfect in our souls, we're going to join our voices to their voices in a one great glorious anthem of Praise and glory to God. What do we see them doing there in heaven? We see them giving praise and glory to God. Notice the four beasts in verse 8, who have six wings representing the cherubim and the seraphim, the mighty angels of heaven, and they fly around the throne of God, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those mighty angels give glory to God, John says, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they take off their crowns and cast their crowns before him, and they worship him that liveth forever and ever, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. They worship him. They praise him. They give glory unto God. That's our future. That's the eternity that stretches out into the age of everlasting ages. That's what we have to look forward to, glorifying God for all eternity with all of creation. And if that is our future, then we can also ask, what ought we to be doing now as we live on this earth? What ought we be doing throughout our lives? And the answer is obvious, the very same thing. We ought to spend our lives glorifying him, worshiping him, praising him, casting down our crowns before him and giving him the glory that is due unto his name all of the scriptures urge us and exhort us. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Why do we exist? Why did God create us? Why are we here? The very purpose of our existence is that it will serve the glory and the praise of him who created us. God said in Isaiah 43, verse 7, I have created him for my glory, referring to Israel, referring to the church. I have created the church for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. God is worthy of our praise, beloved. God is worthy. He is worthy of us giving him all the glory and all the praise. And the catechism teaches us the reason is because of his works, his mighty, wondrous works, which clearly display his power and his majesty and his goodness and his wisdom and mercy and truth. The mighty works of God. Just think of his first great work in time. The work of creation. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. When there was nothing. The Lord God spoke the word. And by the word of his power all creation burst into existence. The earth below, the heavens above, the waters The plants, the trees, the birds, the fish, the beasts of the field, all things by the mere word of his power came into existence out of nothing. And the whole of creation since the beginning of time has ceased not, has rested not to give glory and praise unto the creator. Psalm 19 verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day, although the sun and the moon and the stars cannot speak as we speak, nevertheless, in their own way, they give glory and praise to their Creator. And we saw in the chapter we read those four beasts who represent all the creatures under heaven, give glory and praise to their Creator. And so what about you? You are a creature of God. I am a creature of God. He created us. He made us. We did not make ourselves. He fashioned us and he formed us in our mother's womb. He knit together all of our parts. Before we had consciousness, before we awoke to this world, before we were born into this world, he made us, our bodies, our souls. He joined together in that mysterious union, which is a human being. He gave us our minds. He gave us our personalities. He gave us our bodies. He gave us everything that we have. All that we are, we owe to him. Thy wisdom, Lord, hath fashioned me. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, the psalmist says, and that my soul knows right well. And so God is worthy of our praise. Just for our very existence, our bodies and our souls and what we are as creatures of God. That all by itself is reason to spend our whole lives giving glory unto him because we as creatures of God, we, our bodies, our souls, clearly display God's magnificent power, his magnificent wisdom All of our parts fashioned and formed and knitted together. And therefore we are to give glory to him. Hallowed be thy name. That's our prayer. Because thou hast created me. And that's what all of heaven is singing. According to Revelation 4 verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are and were created. We exist. We are. For thy pleasure. For thy glory. For thy praise. God is worthy. For God is worthy of praise and glory and honor in the second place. And in a much more... Amazing and significant reason because of his work of redemption. And for that, just turn to Revelation 5, which we did not read earlier, but which is part of the very same vision and flows right out of chapter 4. There John sees that this God sitting on the throne has at his right hand a book sealed with seven seals, and no one can be found worthy to open that book in all of heaven and in all of earth. But someone tells John, don't be afraid, don't be anxious, because there is one who is worthy to open the book. The Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, hath prevailed to open the book. And John says, I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sung a new song, Thou art Worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation and hast made us unto our God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. The lamb was slain on the cross to redeem us to redeem out of every nation and kindred and tribe and tongue, one great people, one great church. He died on the cross. He shed his blood for you and for me, to redeem you and to redeem me, out of the world, out of our sins, and to make us kings and priests unto God, so that we will reign with him forever and ever. And if he so loved us, and if he has such grace and mercy toward us, poor sinners, to shed his blood on the cross, to redeem us, and to make us kings and priests, then ought we not to unite our voices, as we read in verse 11, to the voice of many angels round about the throne, and beasts and elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and such as are in the sea, and all that are in them, heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The Lord is worthy of all praise and all glory and all blessing because of his marvelous work of redemption through the Lamb, his own Son. The work of redemption through the Lamb on the cross, like no other work of God, clearly displays his power, his goodness, his wisdom, his justice, his truth, and the whole beautiful rainbow of his divine attributes. So that gazing at the cross and the lamb slain on the cross for us, our hearts ought to be filled with a desire to give glory, to hallow the name of our God. And so that lamb teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, the very first petition of your prayer. Hallowed be thy name. That's first. That's foremost. That's the most necessary and the most important thing of all, that we would pray, O God, my Father, let thy name, let thy name be glorified and sanctified and blessed and honored. For all eternity, we have to pray for that. We have to pray for that, beloved, because God wants us to give glory to Him out of willing hearts. God has created us for His glory, and God will receive the glory. But God wants us to give Him the glory out of willing hearts. Are we able to do that? Are we able to give glory to God out of willing hearts? Are we able to cast down the crowns of our splendor, of our talents, of our achievements? Are we able to cast them down before Him? Are we able to bow the knee, to fall down before Him of willing hearts and to give glory to Him? And we all know that the answer to that question is that by nature we are not able. But by nature, and according to our old, sinful, fallen, depraved flesh, all that we desire, all that we crave is the glory of our own name. That's what we live for. That's what we seek. That's what we want. That's what we desire that men will fall down to us and cast down their crowns before us and bow down to us and worship us. Isn't that it? We want people to recognize our achievements. We want people to affirm our accomplishments. We want people to say good things about us, to compliment us, to recognize us, Me, give me the glory that is due unto me. That's our sinful pride. And so by nature, we're not able to hallow the name of God. We're not able to glorify our God. We simply can't. That's why our Lord teaches us to pray. Let thy name be hallowed. And the only reason we are even able to make that petition, remembering that a petition is a request that rises up out of the heart, out of a sincere desire. The only reason we're even able to desire and to request that we would give glory to God is because of the work of God in us. It's because of the fact that he has united us to Christ and the life of Christ has flowed into us so that now, in Christ, we can make this petition. And our Lord teaches us to pray. Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's what I want. There's another law in my members that doesn't want that. But that's what I want. because I'm a new creature in Christ. And according to that new nature in Christ, O Lord, that's what I want. So Lord, let me hallow thy name. Let me glorify thee. Let me worship thee with all my heart. In the second place this morning, we notice what the catechism teaches about this petition, which at first glance doesn't quite seem to fit, but when you reflect upon it, it fits very well. The Catechism says, The petition, hallowed be thy name, means grant us first, first rightly to know thee, We don't see that at first glance when we look at this petition. Hallowed be thy name. It doesn't seem like a petition to know God, but a petition to glorify God. But if you don't know God, how can you glorify him? How can you worship him? Now it's true that all human beings have some knowledge of God. The scriptures teach us that God makes himself known through the creation itself. Through what is called general revelation. God makes himself known to every single human being so that every single man, even after the fall, whether he is a heathen, a pagan, an atheist, an agnostic, he knows something about God. Because God has revealed himself to him. In Romans 1 verse 21, we read, when they knew God, when they knew him. Because through the creation, God reveals the invisible things of himself to men so that they know something about him. And as the Canons of Dort puts it, everyone has the glimmerings of natural light. Everyone has some knowledge of God. But the apostle says, when they knew God, they glorified him not. As God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man. God has created us human beings to glorify him. But what do fallen, sinful, depraved human beings do? They change the glory of the incorruptible God into the image, into an idol, into another god, and they worship the creature more than the creator. They know him. They know something about him. But they refuse to worship him. When the catechism says that we are to pray, grant us first rightly to know thee. Notice, rightly to know thee. And that means fully to know thee. To know thee In truth, the world around us doesn't really know God. They know something about him, but they don't know him. The knowledge of God can only be had through the special revelation of the Holy Scriptures and the preaching of the gospel through the Scriptures. Only in that way can anybody truly and rightly know God. And therefore, those who do not truly know him do not worship him. And there we see our task as the church of Jesus Christ in this present time. There we see our task as those who do know God in Jesus Christ. Our task is to make him known. Our task is to go out into the world to send missionaries into the world near and far and into all the nations of the world. To do what? To preach, to teach, to make known the true and living God in a world that bows down to idols and corrupts and warps and twists the glory of the true God into idol gods. Our task is to proclaim the true and living God in the world. So that through the preaching of the gospel, through making God known among the heathen, The heathen will come to know him too, like us. And as they come to know him, they will bow down to him. They will fall down before him, and they will worship him. The scriptures make that plain in so many places beautifully. For example, in the Psalms. One of my favorite psalms has come to be Psalm 67, because it is truly a missionary psalm. God be merciful unto us, and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. And this is the petition of the psalmist Let the people praise thee, O God. Let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Is that your desire? Does that throb in your heart? Not just let me praise thee, O God. Not just let my family, let my church praise thee. But let all the people praise thee, O God. Hallowed be thy name in all the earth. That's the desire of the psalmist. Let all the people praise thee. Let thy ways be known on the earth. The psalmist is praying that through missionary endeavor, the knowledge of God will be spread to the ends of the earth. And all peoples will know him through the gospel. And all peoples, all nations will be glad and sing for joy. It's in the gladness of the knowledge of God that true worship arises. True worship doesn't arise out of a heart that is just going through the motions. A heart that is just doing what I think I'm supposed to do. True worship arises out of the heart that is glad, that is filled with joy through the knowledge of my God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The vision that John saw there in heaven was a picture of people from all nations, kindreds, tribes, and tongues. This is our task as the church, as those who know God, to make him known until Jesus comes. But why then does the Lord teach us to pray for ourselves? Grant first that I will rightly know thee. Do we not already know him? Haven't many of us gone through catechism since we were little children? Haven't we gone to Bible societies? Haven't we come to church Haven't we heard the preaching? Haven't we read the scriptures? Don't we know God? Don't we go to catechism class and receive methodical, systematic instruction in the knowledge of God? Yes, we do. But in the first place, does any of us know God fully? Does any of us know him comprehensively? Does any of us know all that there is to know about such a great God? None of us. And secondly, does any of us have in our hearts perfectly, fully, from moment to moment and from day to day, that throbbing, zealous desire to grow in the knowledge of God? None of us. We're distracted by all kinds of things. All kinds of earthly pleasures and treasures. And we focus on those things and we want to have those things. We want to learn about those things and know those things. How many of us has truly in our hearts a fervent desire to grow in the knowledge of God? We don't. We do have it. We do have it. We do have that desire. But we don't have it as we ought. And so we are to pray, Lord, grant me first rightly to know thee and to grow in the knowledge of thee. I want to grow. I want to know thee, Lord. I want to know thee more. I want to know thee more deeply. I want to know thee more fully. I want to know thee more intimately. I want to draw closer to thee. I want to know thee. Make thyself known to me, Lord. Give me to know thee. And that is also a prayer that God will guide us in in that growth process, that he will guide us that we won't go astray and be blown about by every wind of false doctrine, but that we will be guided in the truth, that we will rightly know him. That as we read the scriptures, we will understand it rightly. That as we listen to the preaching, we will understand it rightly. And that we will have right preaching and pure preaching. And that the Holy Spirit will give unto us more and more that intimate, personal knowledge of God as our God. Grant us first rightly to know Thee, because then the more we know Thee, the more we grow in that knowledge, the more we will long to hallow Thy name, to worship, glorify, and praise Thee. you know, we're going to be growing in the knowledge of God throughout all eternity. Because God is infinite and we are finite, we can never fully, thoroughly, completely know everything about him. He's infinite. That is one of the glorious joys that we can anticipate of eternal life in the new world to come, that we will never cease to grow in the knowledge of God. Imagine two young people who are in love, a young man and a young woman. They've fallen in love They're in a relationship. They're getting to know each other. They're growing in the knowledge of one another. But then war breaks out. And the young man is drafted into the army, sent overseas to fight. And no longer are they able to walk together and talk together, and the process of getting to know each other is hindered a bit. But it continues. She wants to know him more. She wants to continue to grow in the knowledge of her beloved, and so she writes letters to him. And in her letters, she says, please tell me, what are you thinking? What are you experiencing? What's going on? What are you feeling? And how are you processing it? What are the things going on in your mind and in your heart right now? Tell me, tell me. I want to know. I want to know what's going on with you. Open your heart to me. Tell me. And that young man receives those letters on the battlefield and opens it up and with joy and delight, he sees that request from his beloved. She wants to know me. And he eagerly writes a letter back to her and tells her what he's thinking, what he's feeling, what's happening, what's going on, how he's doing. Eventually, the war ends, and he's able to go home and go back to her. They get married. But even after they get married, the process of getting to know each other continues. She continues to ask him, tell me, tell me, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? How are you dealing with this? How are you processing that? What are your opinions? What are your beliefs? What are your values? And a husband who loves his wife delights to open his heart to her and to tell her, to make himself known to her. And that process continues throughout marriage. It just continues. That's a sort of a picture of our relationship with God. Right now the war has broken out. We're in wartime. And our Lord and Savior is in heaven. We can't see him. We don't see him face to face. And yet we want to know God through Christ and we want to grow in that knowledge and so we we send our letters to heaven. Tell me. I want to know thee more. I want to grow in my knowledge of thee. And soon the war will be over. And the bride of Christ will be joined with our husband. And we will see him face to face. But even then, for all eternity, we will continue to grow in the knowledge of God through Christ. And the more we grow in our knowledge of him, the more we will grow in glorifying him and hallowing his name. Finally, the Catechism teaches us that this petition means that we pray that we may so order and direct our whole lives, our thoughts, words, and actions, that thy name may never be blasphemed, but rather honored and praised On our account. God has created us. For his glory. Our whole life. The purpose of our whole life. Is the glory of God. Not just. That we praise him through prayer. That we worship him in song. That once in a while we sing to him. That once in a while we pray to him. And even that we pray without ceasing. And in our prayers that we worship him. Not just that, but that our whole life will be ordered and directed to the glory of our Heavenly Father. Negatively, when the children of God sin when we sin grossly publicly openly in the eyes of others in the eyes of the world even we do something very dreadful as the catechism puts it we cause the name of God to be blasphemed when we sin in the presence of others. That's what David did when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, when he murdered her husband, when he fell into gross public sin. The prophet Nathan came to David and said to him, 2 Samuel 12, verse 14, By this deed, Thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Don't sin. Because when we sin, we give occasion to the ungodly world to blaspheme the name of our God. Part of the first petition we see, is a prayer that God will keep us from such gross public sin and from all sin. We don't want to sin, because when we sin, we give occasion to others to blaspheme. They look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian? But look how you live. Look how you speak. Look how you behave. You act just like the world. You're no different. And they even take the name of our God in vain. We give them occasion to do so when we sin. But positively, the catechism teaches us, therefore we pray. When we pray, hallowed be thy name, we're praying, heavenly Father, give me the grace to order and direct my whole life so that through my life, thy name will be honored. Through my life, thy name will be praised. Thy name will be glorified. As Jesus teaches us, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, not your evil works, your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When they see your good works, they may give glory to God with you. They may not. They may mock you for being a Christian. They may do that, but God may use our good works too as a witness to unbelievers so that when they see our good works, they join us in glorifying our Father which is in heaven. Therefore, we have to pray for that. We can't order and direct our lives to the glory of God. If it's left up to us, we'll make a mess of our lives. An utter mess. That's all that we're able to do. So we have to pray. God teaches us to pray, pray. Father, give me the grace to order my life. To bring order into my life structure, in the habits that I have, in my thought processes, in my behaviors at work, in my behaviors in my marriage, in my behaviors in my family, in my behaviors everywhere. Give me the grace to order and direct my life in the paths of righteousness for thy name's sake. That's part of the first petition. And the child of God, who truly desires the glory of his Father, will make that prayer in all of its parts. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, let thy name be hallowed among us. Use us personally and as a congregation to bring glory to thy name. We confess and we have seen how weak we are and how often we fall short. So that's why we pray, Father, we beseech thee to work mightily in us by thy grace that by our words, in our prayers, in our songs that we sing, and in our whole life, we may serve the glory and the praise of thy name. And we pray for the great and glorious day when, we, when the war will be over, when we will be united to our Lord face to face and with all of the saints and angels of heaven. May we long and pray for that day in great hope.